Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. What's on your bucket list? What are you believing God for? What would you say? See, if we don't have anything specific, we can't expect anything specific. So you need a dream. Mark Patterson says that God honors big dreams because big dreams honor God. Little dreams don't honor God. Little dreams think reveal that you only have faith in a little God. But big dreams honor God. My little granddaughters, they're six and four, come up to me and say, Pops, can you give us something good? One of the things that we do at our house, every time they come over, before they leave, they get a treat. And the treat that Pops gives them uh, are uh, chocolate chips, both white chocolate chips and milk chocolate chips. And uh, their mother, if, you know, they asked their mother, she'd give them one each. How many you know that that's just sinful? I mean, that's just wrong. And so when Pops and her mother, when, when, when my daughter is not looking, I give them like a dozen of each one of them. And uh, because good fathers give better, give, give great things. Anyhow, God has some good dreams. You know, I love what Mark Batterson said. He said, at the end of our lives, our greatest regrets will be God-ordained opportunities that we left on the table, the God-given passions that we didn't pursue, and the God-given dream that we didn't go after because we let our fears and our inadequacies dictate our decisions. Most people believe that God is real, but we don't live like it. We have all the right words, but we don't have the right actions. I want to talk to you about Joseph the dreamer and, and, um, and to share four principles about dreaming big dreams for God. Number one is found in Matthew chapter one, verse 18. You ready? Matthew chapter one, verse 18 This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind, note that phrase, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take home Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The first point is this. Dreamers who see their dreams become reality are willing to be interrupted. Dreamers are willing to be interrupted. You know the story well. Joseph and Mary are a young couple. They're engaged to be married. Back then, engagement carried much more serious connotation. How many were engaged more than once when you were dating. I was, not because I wanted to be, but because it just worked out that way. But back then, it was almost as if being married, except for the consummation of the marriage. And so this was a big deal. They're planning, you know, they, they, they've uh, laid out where they're going to live. Joseph is already thinking about how he can increase his carpenter business so that he can provide for his wife. And everything is looking forward to that day when they finally become man and woman. But then there's an interruption. Then there's an interruption. It comes when after Mary has been visited by an angel and the angel told her that you're going to be with child. 
You're going to carry the Son of God. You're going to bring the the Redeemer, the Savior of the world, and God's chosen you to be the one that delivers that baby into the world. And uh, Mary's question was, how can this be? Since I don't know a man, how can this be? And it's okay to question. Sometimes I question my dreams. Sometimes I wonder, Lord, how could the dream that I'm working on right now ever come to pass? Well, the only answer is it can only come to pass if God brings it to pass. But Mary now has to go to her, her, her fiance, has to go to the man that she's loved, the man that loves her. And he, and he brings her, she brings him the news. Joseph, you better sit down for this. Don't you think that's the first thing she said? You better sit down for this. You're not going to believe what happened to me. And she was right. Joseph didn't believe her. And he says to her, he said, she says to him, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And before she can get out any other words, he's, he's heartbroken. All of his dreams go up in smoke. Everything he's been planning for is suddenly put on pause because this is an interruption that he didn't plan on. How many of you know you never plan on interruptions? We never plan on interruptions. We all think it's a perfect world and everything's going to go smooth. But here's a divine interruption. I don't know about you, but when I'm on a roll, when I'm moving towards my goal, when I'm getting closer, when I can taste victory, I don't want anything to get in the way of that. I don't like any, I don't want any outside phone calls. I don't want any texts. I don't want any Facebook messages. I just want to pursue that dream. But the news Mary was pregnant changed everything. Joseph was overwhelmed, brokenhearted, angry at the apparent betrayal, and he was humiliated. But in typical Joseph fashion, he began to make plans, even though he didn't want to marry Mary, he didn't want to disgrace her either. And so he makes another, his first plan to get married and live happily ever up after is interrupted by a pregnancy. So now he, he says, all right, we'll do this the honorable way. See, interruptions reveal two things about you. How you handle interruptions reveal two things about you. Number one, it reveals your character. It reveals your character. When you get interrupted, do you get mad? Do you get upset? Do you throw a hissy fit? You know what a hissy fit is? It's worse than a fit, you know. Do you you throw a hissy fit? Do you get mad at God? Do you get mad at the people that interrupted you? Or do you say, Lord, somehow... I'm going to trust you that in the midst of this, you're going to bring good out of it. Number one, it reveals your character. But secondly, how you handle interruptions uh, reveals what you really believe about God. What you really believe about God. See, some people believe that God is a fair weather God. That God is there when everything's going our way. That God is there when all of the, all the dominoes line up. When 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 everything that we could hope for is happening. But then when interruptions come, we don't know what's going on. What do you believe about God? Joseph's reaction. Because not only was he interrupted with the pregnancy, after he plans again, he had plans before the pregnancy, he had plans after the pregnancy, and now God interrupts his plans again, and he says to him, Joseph, don't don't follow through with your plan. I know you're going to do it the honorable way. You're going to divorce her quietly but I want you to marry her. I want you to marry her. And God had a different plan. How many of you know that sometimes God has a different plan? See, the truth is life is filled with interruptions. 
both in the natural and in the spiritual. And we can fight those interruptions or we can flow with them, but we can't avoid them. We can't avoid them. Joseph of the Old Testament was interrupted on his way to his dream. He had to experience the pit and the prison before he ever made it to the palace. Moses was interrupted on the way to his dream of becoming the deliverer of the people. He spent 40 years in the wilderness looking at the south end of sheep headed north. I mean, know what I'm talking about. David, you'll get that a little bit later. A couple of you got it, all right. David was interrupted on the way to his dream of being king. He fled the wrath of angry King Saul and dodged his spears. He had to flee to the camp of the hated Philistines on his journey. How you handle life's interruptions will determine if you ever see the fulfillment of your dream or not. Paul was interrupted in his dream to preach the gospel where no man had ever preached before. In Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10, it says this, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region, Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching. Those words don't make sense. Most interruptions don't make sense. Paul, the willing servant, is willing to go where people need the gospel, and yet the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit stops him having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of the province of Asia, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Interruption again. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Isn't it amazing that after their plans to preach, first of all, in Asia, and then into Bithynia, and then Mysia and Troas, after those plans had fallen about, they concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel to the men. So, see, you may be sitting here today, and you may be feeling frustrated by the fact that doors have closed in front of you. Doors had opened and you thought, man, I'm just a step or two away from victory. I'm just, I'm just one win away from the national championship series. And then South Carolina happens. Any football, not many Vol fans here. All right. All right. How uninterrupting that was. But you, but, but you, um, you're frustrated by the doors that have closed in front of you. Sometimes, sometimes closed doors are God's or God's interruptions don't necessarily make sense. They don't, you, you try to reason it out. You try to figure it out. For Paul, there was an obvious need. There was a called and willing servant himself. It made perfect sense, but God interrupted Paul's plan. What did Paul do? What did Paul do? Well, let's look at, first of all, what he didn't do. When he is interrupted, he didn't allow bitterness to set in his heart. How many of you have had your dreams sidetracked or derailed because you got bitter when things didn't go your way? Number two, he didn't enter into if-itis or if-only. He didn't say, Lord, if you'd just done it this way, if you'd just, everything was going smooth, God, and you had to go and interrupt the plan. No, what, he, he, he just kept moving. What he did do is he kept moving forward. When, it, when the doors to Asia closed, he went on to Messiah. Uh, to Bithynia. 
When the doors in Bithynia closed, he kept moving forward through Mysia and Troas. Sometimes you just got to keep moving. You just got to keep moving. Not See, what happens is we tend, tend to sit down in our discouragement. And the problem is once you sit down, it's hard to get back up. We'll talk about that at the end of the message. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned in many years of serving the Lord now. Man's disappointments are often God's appointment. Man's disappointments are often God's appointment. For instance, this makes sense to me because when we retired three weeks ago, last Sunday was three years since we left our church in Jackson, Tennessee that we had pastored for 26 and a half years. And and we left. I'd been told earlier by one of the mentors in my life, a pastor in California, he said, you don't retire from something, you retire to something. And that made sense. In other words, don't just retire and go sit down. Have a plan. See what, you know, keep, plan to keep active, plan to keep ministering. And so we did that. We, we had, we, it seemed like God had led us to Europe. I'd been to South America about 30 times, 25 to Uruguay alone. But in the last few years before I retired, it seemed like our missions emphasis shifted from South America to Europe. And we spoke at a couple of conferences there uh, designed for pastors that were leading international churches. In the major cities of Europe, they have international churches which are geared to reach the English-speaking people, expats and people from all over the world that come to Europe for education. And the thing that they have in common is they speak English. And there's some incredible churches that we've been able to preach at. And the pastors, the missionaries that serve those churches often need to come home to help raise funds or to rest. And, and so we had, we had uh, concluded that God wanted us to be one that would help them do that, that by, by going and filling in for them at no cost, in fact, probably costing us, paying our way and everything, to go and, and fill in in international churches. We were excited about it. I mean, when you say we're going to Brussels, Nancy's all in, you know? You say we're going to Timbuktu, it might be a different story, but but we're all in, we're ready. And we had two months lined up in Brussels. And we had two months lined up in the Canary Islands. Hey, it's a tough gig, but we were willing. Here am I, Lord, send me. How many understand what I'm saying? And we had a trip to Uruguay planned again in South America. We were excited about it, but then... COVID. I said, okay, if I cuss in church, COVID. COVID hit. We moved to Knoxville in December of 19, and COVID hit in what, March of 2020? And all of a sudden, all of our plans were put on hold by COVID. And we had to make a decision. Are we going to get frustrated? And I'll be honest with you, I, I, it was hard. Those three months that churches were closed, it was hard sitting at home. We moved from a city in, in West Tennessee and in, in the town that Rick pastored. Everybody knew Rick and Susan Seaton. And in the town I pastored just north of there, Jackson, I knew just about everybody. I loved it. It was, it was a wonderful thing. But now I'm in a town that I don't know anybody except my family. And I can only see them occasionally because of COVID. And it was tough. And it was tough. And we prayed. And coming out of COVID, the, the churches reopened, many of them on Mother's Day. I don't know, remember when you guys reopened. But coming out of COVID, they opened on Mother's Day. And we got a call that week 
from a church in Allgood, Tennessee, asking us to come serve as interim pastors. It's a church that we loved. At one point, it was a mega church. as a church that had been through incredible difficulty. They'd gone through three splits. They'd had COVID to deal with. They'd had a tornado that had killed 20 people in the community. It was a church that needed love. And they called and said, can you come and serve as our interim pastor? I never would have chosen to do that. I would have been in Europe. I would have been in Brussels visiting the chocolate factory. But God called us to go. And I want to tell you, the time we spent in all good Tennessee were probably four or five of the happiest, most fulfilling months that we've ever had in ministry. God interrupted our plans because he had a better plan. And when that time came to, came to conclusion, we said, what's next, Lord? See, that's the, that's the, that's the question we need to be asked. If you feel stalled, you ask the Lord, what's next? Not, don't, 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 you got to move from why me to what's next. Everybody say that. You got to move from why me to what's next. And little did I know that Sam Johnson of Priority One Ministries, you guys gave $3,000 earlier this year to help in a project in Tanzania with Priority One Building Bible Schools. And little did I know that him, I, I, he was one of my lifelong missionary heroes and I had no clue that he'd moved to Alcoa. And God supernaturally, I think, worked it out for us to have lunch. And I invited him to our house the next week. We were having all the Chi Alpha workers from UT over. I said, come and, and have breakfast with us. They got there at 9 o'clock and didn't leave till 1230. We didn't think they were ever going to get out of our house. But there was a connection as he poured into them. And that led to another meeting, and that led to an invitation to join them. And so for the last over a year now, we've been raising funds for Priority One. I love what I'm doing. And I found a new dream, a dream. When we were pastoring, we had raised $5 million over the course of my pastoral ministry to give to missions. And God put it in my heart to raise another $5 million during retirement. Say, do you believe that's going to happen? I tell you what, I'm going to die trying. I'm going to die trying. And we thank God that you guys were a part of that. But dreamers are willing to be interrupted. If your dream's been interrupted, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just means God has a different route for you to get there. Number two, dreamers are willing to be misunderstood. Dreamers are willing to be misunderstood. Joseph knew that no one would believe their story. It's hard to believe now, even though we see the end of it, isn't it? He knew that people would talk, that rumors would fly, that people would say unkind and hurtful things. He knew that not only would his character be called into question, but the character of the woman that he loved, Mary, would be called into question. Joseph paid the price of being misunderstood. And if you have a dream that's big, that's God-sized, People aren't going to understand that dream. People aren't going to, I've had people say, why would you try to raise $5 million and you're retired? Don't you know you're old? And what they're really saying is, do you think you, you're not that good? Is what they're saying. And they, you know, people don't understand your heart. And if you're the bigger your dream, the less people will believe in your dream. Because if your dream is something that can be explained away or something that's easily achievable. It's not from God. Number one, he paid the price of being misunderstood. Number two, Joseph paid the cost of losing his comfort and his security. 
losing his comfort and his security. You notice how many times God speaks to them and gives them new direction in the story. They're going to Bethlehem, and then he says, go to Egypt, and then he says, leave Egypt. He's always pulling up his roots. If you're, content, if you're, if you're tied to your comfort and security, you're probably not going to be used by God to do great things. I don't know why, but I want to say that again. If you're tied, if you're more concerned about your comfort and your security, well, Lord, I'd love to be used by you, but man, that falls on Saturday. You know, they're, they're, they're going to have an outreach on Saturday. And, and don't you understand, Saturday is my day to do things around the house. Or they asked me to come back on a Sunday night for, for uh, a ladies meeting. Don't you understand, that's our family time. If you're tied to your comfort and your security, if you love security more than you do risk, something's wrong. Because God calls spells risk, F-A-I-T-H, faith. And the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And Joseph's dream was tied to faith. Let me ask you, what price are you willing to pay for your dream? How much is your dream worth? Martin Luther King's dream of one day seeing people judge by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin, cost him his life. Jesus, his dream of seeking mankind, seeing mankind restored to a relationship with, with the Father, cost him his life. Thomas Edison's dream of one day seeing people, uh, or Thomas Edison's dream of one day uh, uh, inventing a light, an electric light bulb, cost him humiliation as he went through thousands, hundreds of failed experiments, and people mocked him and ridiculed him. Nelson Mandela spent year after year in prison and then had to forgive the ones that imprisoned him to see his dream of the end of apartheid. Every dream has a price tag. Didn't matter what others thought of him. Jesus, Joseph said, I'm willing to stay with the dream. I want to tell you something. When others come against you and your dream, it gets tough. When you're the only one standing for your dream, it gets tough. But let me share this with you. The answer and the, and, and the ability to endure in the pursuit of your dream comes, you'll find that strength by going back to the dream itself. Let me say that again. The ability to stay true to the dream and to endure until you see the dream become reality, you have to constantly remind yourself of the dream itself. What did the Lord say? Joseph knew people were going to mock him. People were going to ridicule him. People were going to call him sinners. But Joseph said, even if that was true, Joseph knew the truth. But he said, even if that was truth, the angel said to me, his name will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph was more interested in the blessings of the Lord than he was the approval of men. And when he was all alone, he remembered what the second word that the angel said. His name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And Joseph found strength and Joseph found hope in those two things. Jesus, who could forgive every sin, and Emmanuel, who was with him. Is your dream worthy of the price you may have to pay for being misunderstood? Here's the truth. If you're not thick-skinned, you'll probably never reach your dream. If you're not thick-skinned, you'll probably never reach your dreams. The critics will eat your lunch. 
Nancy and I preached in Memphis a few weeks ago, and and we stopped in at Jackson, where we used to pastor, and we, we pulled into the church parking lot for a specific reason. Because five years ago, a little over, maybe five and a half years ago now, the Lord put in my heart to give part of our land. We own right at 30 acres as a church. And the Lord put it in my heart to lead the church in giving about seven acres to a ministry called the Dream Center. And the Dream Center in Jackson is, is a shelter for homeless women. And they'd been just lost their, they just lost their facility. They were desperate and they needed a place. And so God put it in my heart and I brought it before the leadership of the church and we shared it and we had to, we had, it was unbelievable all the steps we had to go through. We had to get approval and the neighbors rose up against it and everything. And I told Gail, who's the director of the Dream Center, when we finally signed the papers and turned it over to them, I said, she put a sign up the first, the first week. And I said, Gail, that sign will come to mock you. Said future home of. How did I know that? Because you know, 20 years earlier, we'd put a sign on the corner that said future home of Northside Assembly. And it took us four years from that sign going in the ground for us to be able to worship in that building. I got to where I hated that sign. I mean, the sign was had lost it. It, it all chipped, the painted chipped. It looked horrible, but we wanted to set it on fire as soon as we could. But, but here's the thing. We kept dreaming. We kept dreaming. And we were willing to pay the price. Are you willing to, to be misunderstood? Nobody thought that Dream Center. So why did we pull in that parking lot? Because the Dream Center is under construction now. And they'll be in that Dream Center next fall. And they'll be able to handle like 70 ladies in the first phase. And they have other phases to come after that. And it's been supernatural to watch that happen. If you're not, they, they received, we, 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 you'd think that the neighbors would be excited about trying to help people. But here's what I find. We're all excited about somebody else helping somebody that's in need. As long as they don't do it in my neighborhood. I'm excited about churches that are reaching the drug addicts as long as they don't come to our church. Mm-hmm. Doing better preaching than we are shouting right now, you know. But God says, you pursue that dream. You hold to that dream. So number one, dreams are, dreamers are willing to be interrupted. Dreamers are willing to be misunderstood. And thirdly, I love this one. Dreamers are willing to be stretched, are willing to be stretched. Look at Matthew 1, 21. 21 says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. You think, you think, Joseph is on like information overload now. I mean, he's just been told that Mary's with child of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's got to be uh, unbelievable. And then he says, you're going to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph was a carpenter and a poor one at that. I'm not saying his skills were poor, but I'm saying his income was poor. How do I know that? Because when they went to the temple, they presented the least offering they possibly could because that's all they could afford, a turtle dove and some other things. I mean, here's a guy who's, who's just, he's like the common ordinary guy. 
just making it week to week. And all of a sudden, his dream, his dream of having a family and having a nice little home with maybe two bedrooms and, and a path out back or whatever. I mean, all of a sudden, that's interrupted. And the Lord says to him, I don't want you just to be a run-of-the-mill middle-class carpenter. I want you to be the father of my son. I want to involve you in the plan to redeem the world. And isn't that what all God-honoring dreams are about? They all point to bringing people to Jesus, his son, who can save them from their sins. God's dreams are always bigger than you are. You may look around and say, well, I, I'd like to have a dream, but I, you know, it, sometimes you just got to put your butts on the altar. You just got to put your butts on the altar. I know that sounds funny, but it's true. Because our excuses will never get us to from where we are to the fulfillment of a dream. And here's, this sounds like a cliche, but it's true. God doesn't call the qualify. He qualifies the called. God doesn't look for men that are extraordinary. He looks for men that believe he's extraordinary. God doesn't look for men who can do the supernatural. He looks for people who are willing to let God add the super to their natural. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says it this way. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God's dream is bigger than you are. God's dream is always, if it's not bigger, if you can accomplish God's dream in your own ability, it's not God's dream. But here's what I want to say. Do not let your limitations limit what God can do through you. Do not let, I want to say that to this church, do not let your limitations limit what God can do through you. See, it's so easy to say, well, we got this tiny building and 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 we've got a small congregation and we don't have, and we don't, and we don't, and we don't. God's not looking at what you don't. He's looking at what you have. And he's saying, if you'll give it to me, if you'll give it to me, I will use it. When I, While others saw Simon's wavering and fickleness, Jesus saw him as a rock and named him Peter and said, upon this rock, I will build my church. See, dreamers believe what God says about them, not what others say about them. You may have had negative things spoken over you as a child. You may have been told that you'll never amount to anything or that you'll always be run of the mill. But God says, I have plans for you. The church saw Saul as the persecutor, but Jesus saw him as Paul the apostle. Others saw John, the son of thunder, but Jesus saw the apostle of love. The disciples saw a boy's lunch, but Jesus saw his five loaves and two fish as the ingredients necessary for a miracle. Dare to dream a God-sized dream. Let the size of your God determine the size of your dream. Dreamers are willing to be interrupted. They're willing to be misunderstood, and they're willing to be stretched. How does God want to stretch Emmanuel Assembly in 2023? You know what? I don't remember when it was in the spring or sometime. When did we, we took that offering? And it was an amazing offering, $3,000 to help build. Don't let, that, don't let that be the lid. 
Let that be the floor. Let that be the floor. If God can do that, what can he do if we'll just keep on trusting and keep on believing and keep on uh, trusting him? And then finally, dreamers are willing to obey. Dreamers are willing to obey. I want to share in the conclusion of this message, I want to share six words with you. The first two come from Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. It says, when Joseph woke up, everybody say, wake up. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. Notice those four words. He woke up and he did. When Joseph woke up, he did. He put actions to the dream, what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. It's not enough to dream. You have to be willing to wake up and start obeying. Everyone has a dream. It's only those that wake up that ever see them become reality. See, the temptation is to want to sleep in and see how the dream ends. I have problems sleeping. I I go to see a sleep doctor. He's got me on a sleep apnea machine, and he's we just saw him this week, and he's telling me to try all this weird stuff. And and uh, but when I finally get to sleep, and that alarm, it seems like I just get there, and that alarm goes off. You know what I want to do? Hit the snooze. And that's the way a lot of us are with our dreams. Let's hit the snooze. Let's just, let, let's just revel in the dream a little bit longer. You ever been dreaming something when the alarm went off and just wanted just five more minutes, Lord, I want to see how it ends. God says it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. T.E. Lawrence said, all men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds awake to the day to find it was all vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men. For the many act out their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. May God let us not be dreamers of the night, but dreamers of the day that get up, that wake up, and that get up. It's not enough to wake up. We have to obey what the Lord has told us to do. And that brings us to the second two words found in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Matthew 2, 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Everybody say, get up. Get up, he said, take the child and the mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. You can't accomplish anything for the Lord with good intentions. You've got to get up. You not only have to wake up, you got to get up. You got to let your feet hit the floor. You got to get out of the bed, got to get out of the comfort. Nancy is, and I, you know this because I've told it before, but she's from California. We just got back from there last week, I think, and, and uh, they're weird out there, and they don't know how to talk. And, but when she, got, when she married this hillbilly, she had to learn a whole new way of saying things. And for instance, she went to Walmart, and someone said, you want a buggy? And she goes, what's a, she's thinking a horse and cart. Is this Amish country? What? You know, she didn't know. And because they're called shopping carts, not buggies, but we know they're buggies. And one of the expressions that she had to get used to in the South is I'm fixing to, I'm fixing to. And what does that mean? It ain't going to happen. That's the interpretation. I need to, 
I want to, but it's probably not going to happen because if you're fixing and not doing, it ain't, it ain't happening. Getting up means starting. The truth is God gives us a dream, but he expects us to wake up and cooperate in making the dream a reality. Thomas Edison said, vision without execution is hallucination. And for some of us, that's all we have are hallucinations. We, we have these wild imaginations that go, but never, nothing ever changes because we didn't wake up and we didn't get up. If you don't act, you've got nothing. All you got is a desire. Push the start button. Say, but I don't know what to do. Well, you know, that may be true, but here's my hunch. Most of us know the next step. We just don't know the step after that one. And because we're creatures of comfort, we don't want to know the take the first step until we know all the steps. We want a map, and God reveals it through a scroll. As we unfold a little bit and obey, he unfolds a little bit more. What, what change do you need to make in your life? What class or seminar do you need to register for? What tough decision have you been avoiding? What project did you, do you need to start? What relationship do you need to deal with? What unchurched neighbor do you need to have over for dinner? So what's holding you back? The only thing that can hold us back, if we're honest, is fear, a lack of confidence. It's the belief that we might fail. And the only way to overcome that is to move against your fears and to take the next step without knowing the second step. So wake up. Everybody say, wake up. Get up. And the third is listen up. Listen up. Matthew 2, chapter 19, for 21. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, God, and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to uh, to the land of Israel. Why did I say listen up? Because you don't see those words in that scripture. Here's why. Because Joseph, the reason Joseph was in Egypt is because God had led him to go to Egypt. And, and because God led him to go to Egypt, he took his wife and his newborn son, and they made that hard journey and he began to, you know, he, he started establishing his business. He had a good clientele and, and uh, things were looking up. And then the Lord says, now I want you to go away from Egypt. Have you ever had a word come that seems to contradict the previous word? But Lord, you told me here. Yes, I told you, but I didn't tell you to settle there. I told you to go there. You went there for a reason, for a purpose. But now it's time to keep moving forward. Here's my point. Often we mess up and we stop in the pursuit of our dreams because we're, we're trusting on the last thing the Lord said instead of listening for the next thing he said. Does that make sense? I used an illustration once in preaching in Jackson. I said, it's like the Lord says to us, go over to I-40 and get on I-40 and go east. Well, if, you, if you're in Jackson and the Lord tells you to get on I-40 and go east, automatically you think, well, he's probably going to have me go to Nashville. And so you're trucking along and you go past all these little towns. And, uh, and then all of a sudden the Lord says, get off at Bucksnort. But because we're lit, not listening, because we've already made up our mind that God wants us to go to Nashville, we miss Bucksnort. You know, I shared that. And the next week 
I got on I-40 to go to Nashville and ran out of gas at I at Bucksnort. That's true. I just barely cruised into a gas station there. You know, you got to keep listening. You know, people, you know, one of the things that people often quoted back to me in Jackson was, Pastor, you say that when you don't know the next step, just keep doing what he said last. And that's true. But that doesn't mean you turn off your ears. You got to keep your ears open. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 31 says, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. While you're in the way, while you're walking, while you're doing what God's called you to do, keep an eye forward, but keep your ears upward, open to the Lord. Many people get stuck because they continue to go straight, continue to keep doing the same things they've always done, and they stop listening. You know, one of the sad things that I see as I travel in a, a church, new church almost every weekend, you see some wonderful things. We've, we've been in some churches that are ripping and snorting and doing great things for God. And then we've been in a lot of churches that are just struggling and they're blaming COVID. And the problem is they're still trying to minister post-COVID like they ministered pre-COVID because that's the way we've always done it before. You know what will destroy a dream? but that's the way we've always done it. There comes a time when you got to say, Lord, I'm willing to let go of the past so I can gain the future, so I can gain the future. A preoccupation with comfort is one of the most damaging things that can happen to our dreams. I have a pastor I'm thinking of right now. I wouldn't dare say his name, but their church was large and had an incredible outreach, and now it's small. And he's still doing the same things he's done for the last 20 years. <clears throat> and he wonders why nothing's happening. You got to have a fresh word from the Lord. And one of the greatest, one of the greatest hindrances to the thing that God has next are people holding on tightly to what he did last. Let me say that again. One of the greatest hindrances as a pastor, I've seen this, to what God wants to do next are people who are unwilling to go, let go of what he did last. Most dreamers have to sacrifice comfort to pursue their dreams. So what do we need to do? What is the word of the Lord going into 2023? I think I have six words for you, Emmanuel. Wake up, get up, and listen up. Would you say them with me? Wake up. Get up and listen up. Wake up, get up and listen up.